Hey Blake, how you doing today? I'm I'm good. The weather is warming up. Summer is in route to St. Louis, and I'm excited. It really is. Spring has sprung, and we are back with yet another episode of Under the Arch. Uh, this is still a podcast where we explore the issues facing our communities and the people fighting to transform them. I am one of your co-hosts, Blake Strode, Executive Director of Arch City Defenders. And I am your other co-host, Kayla Reed, Executive Director of Action St. Louis. And we were just saying that that today's episode is one that has been in the works for many, many months. I think when we started planning the previous season, season three, this topic was high on the list. Uh, yeah, I think every season of every look, every season of reparation, <laughs> every season of Under the Art, we talk about the possibility to have an episode on reparations, and and we have before. Um, we talked about the sort of national conversation about about reparations, but you know something has happened where organizing has yet again brought to the face or the front of the conversation here in St. Louis, an opportunity to really delve into uh, into reparations. And so I'm super excited for this episode. Yeah, I am too. And, and for those that haven't um, been been following as closely, part of, uh, part of what brings us to this moment um, in, in recent history is that over the past roughly year and a half, um, there, was, there was a local effort um, that really was a, a coalition effort. We'll get into more details about, about that um, by a number of local organizations, our organizations included, calling for uh, a reparations commission in the city of St. Louis. That also came on the heels of, of Mayor Tashara Joan announcing support for, for reparations as part of something called Mayors Organized for Reparations, I think, and Equity? Inequity, yeah. I um, think so. And, and that has now come to fruition in the form of, of an established reparations commission. And we have the great privilege today of yeah. having two of the commissioners uh, here for this conversation. Yeah. Um, so let's go ahead and bring in our guest because one such commissioner is our own Kayla Reed and she'll talk more about her role in the commission uh, but the other is is the legendary Dr. Will Ross, and he's joining us today. Good afternoon, Dr. Ross. Uh, good afternoon, uh, Blake and Kayla. I, I really am honored to be on on this podcast. Uh, I think the world of both of you and the and the incredible work you've been doing for so many years. Well, thank you so much for saying that. We are we're very honored to have you. Can I just say this though, Dr. Ross? is quickly becoming one of my favorite people because he's always so nice and always so sweet. And when you're a younger person, because we're not as young as we used to be, for sure. We're now well into our 30s over here, Blake more so than I. Um, that wasn't necessary. Was it not? It was. Um, but it is, it is amazing when you get to have these intergenerational moments. And so one of my favorite things about the Reparations Commission is that I get to serve alongside Dr. Will Ross. So we're very excited that you're um, joining us for this episode of Under the Arch. How are you today? 
I'm doing great, Kayla. And again, I'm sincere in, in really commenting on the work you're doing. Uh, I, I've been involved uh, off and on for efforts to promote social justice in St. Louis for, my goodness, 34, 35 years. Mm. I've seen a lot of initiatives start. I've seen a lot of initiatives collapse. And I just realized that we really just need a group of individuals who are truly committed, who are really uh, visionary, uh, who are actually going to be absolutely unwavering in pushing for initiatives. And so that's what I see in the two of you. And that's why I, I have a lot of hope for what will transpire uh, through this commission and through other activities in this region. Well, we, I think we have hope too, and we're, we're so glad to be in the work with you, joining you in the work uh, that you've been doing for decades, as you said. Um, I, I neglected, because I just assume everyone knows who Dr. Ross is, I neglected to give a, a short bio, um, two-sentence bio, so let me just do that now. In case you don't know, uh, Dr. Ross is an alumni endowed professor of medicine, nephrology, and associate dean for diversity at Washington University School of Medicine. He is a nationally and internationally recognized kidney specialist, a developer of long-term health equity programs, and uh, is now, as we'll get into, vice chair of the St. Louis City Reparations Commission. Um, So again, just the the perfect person to bring into this uh, conversation. And, and maybe to kick us off, you know, you were sort of saying there, Dr. Ross, that you have been involved in efforts to improve St. Louis for decades. And and can you give us a little bit of of your individual background and, and story? What what do you bring into the work that you're now doing as part of the Reparations Commission? Sure. Blake, a part of this is a personal story. Um, I grew up in the in Memphis, Memphis, Tennessee, during the 1960s and 70s. And as we all know, that was a gripping moment in history. Uh, well, all the images that uh, we've seen in the newspaper and, you know, and, and grainy television, I actually lived through a lot of that. And I was really fortunate to earn the um, support of some of the prominent uh, civil rights leaders, including Dr. Benjamin Hooks, who was later uh, director of the uh, uh, National NAACP and, and other luminaries. And, and so uh, I, I, they, they taught me the history of civil rights and the need to uh, be earnest um, in, in uh, addressing uh, inequities uh, and, and pressing for solutions, uh, to be patient, but to be forthright and earnest. So it, it was a great lesson, which I took to my role as a physician, as an academician. Uh, and it was just really uh, proper that in 1987, when I was still training in my fellowship, I was invited to serve on a national board that was overlooking organ transplantation and why African-Americans were less likely to receive organ transplantations, even though African-Americans, we were more likely to develop high blood pressure and diabetes and kidney disease. And so that disparity became really quite striking in my eyes. And I just recognized all the upstream factors that contributed to that, to kidney disease and upstream factors that contributed to diabetes and hypertension. Mm-hmm. And I quickly surmised that I couldn't just work in that one space. I had to be attentive uh, to all the policy initiatives that, that we needed to uh, identify and maintain, uh, promote, in order to really have an amelioration of those those um, adverse indicators. And so I, I became immersed in the field 
back then. And, you know, it, it's just been really uh, fortunate, you know, uh, serendipity, some, and just uh, a desire to make a difference. I, I just landed in, in the hands of some really good people working with the Surgeon General uh, on the organ transplantation and then looking at ways of, of increasing awareness and then working here with uh, people and the local NAACP on, on uh, neighborhood initiatives to increase awareness of health issues and health disparities. And again, it became really apparent after I started citing the disparities and working on them that um, uh, I, I could talk and I can increase awareness, but we needed work to do because the disparities just persisted year after year after year. And I got really just frustrated with this. I said, something has to be done. Every year I'm saying that black women are more likely to die of uh, maternal mortality, three times more likely. Uh, you know, infants, uh, infant mortality is two, th- two or three times greater than whites. And the high blood pressure and diabetes are two times greater uh, in the black population. Uh, you know, and, and I just had to take a broader focus and really start thinking about the public health uh, field and how we had to truly address uh, public health uh, institutions and policies uh, to make a difference. Uh, and this is one such uh, approach. Uh, but I, I learned early on <laughs> as a teenager uh, that I, I had to advocate uh, for civil rights uh, and to redeem that check that Dr. King um, uh, requested uh, for African Americans, mm-hmm. I learned that early, and then I later learned that uh, if if this is going to be effective, I need to start working at the uh, upstream level uh, on on sustainable policies that can affect change in our in our community. So I, I I'm you know this is my work. Um, this is what I, I truly wake up. And I go to bed thinking about this for, for decades. And I'm just, just pleased to have this opportunity to, to finally bring some of this work to fruition. I think that's really, first of all, that's a life, right? That's, a, that's an amazing journey from Memphis, how you got to St. Louis, and how some of those issues persist in both places. Um, and we often talk about, you know, Blake and I talk about this sort of, the South and the Midwest have such a shared history, these migration cities um, and these disparities, both being, you know, they've they've been enshrined in policy and then the realities of, of what that looks like, where we know North City, um, we see the benign neglect in the structure, but then also what that has meant for people as far as their, their health outcomes and their life expectancies, and that those things are actually very much in tandem, um, they're interconnected. Um, and so, you know, thank you for thank you for sharing that. Um, so my question is, you know, when you saw we're going to talk about the like reparations commission, but for you, why was it important to apply to, and, and join this this uh, project? Certainly, uh, Kayla. Uh, you know, I was uh, back in uh, the early 90s. I was the medical director of the last public hospital here, St. Louis Regional Medical Center. And I recall, I recall this one story when I left that organization, coming back full time to WashU. One of my patients grabbed me by the hand, an older patient, B. She was 90 years old. She grabbed me by the hand and she says, Dr. Ross, I know you're going to go back over to the, the main campus, but please don't forget about us and what's plaguing us. I said, I won't. And she continued to hold my hand and says, uh, You promise you won't forget about us? And I said, B, I'm not going to forget about you. And she, she 
continued to hold my hand, said, look me in my eye. You're not going to forget about us. And, and, and it was at that moment when I really realized what was happening, that she, she was talking about something really larger. I mean, it, it truly was listening to an ancestor saying, you know, saying that you know, she was in her position of sitting in a wheelchair with diabetic kidney disease and undergoing dialysis because of a lack of access to care, because of a, a lack of supportive services, inability to go and, and, and get her medications uh, uh, because they were uh, too exp uh, expensive, uh, difficulty transporting back and forth uh, to from our home to the Dallas Center because of our, you know, unfortunately uh, inadequate transportation system, uh, and, and the conditions in which she lived. Uh, I knew where she lived in six three one one three zip code, North St. Louis, and, and you know, having to contend uh, uh, migrating the streets and the neighborhoods and the sidewalks and dealing with all the other factors that are unfortunately at play in, in, in some of our inner city neighborhoods. She was asking me to not forget about those things. It wasn't just about her. I, that, that was my commitment uh, to, to, to St. Louis and to the region, to this country, to not forget about those things and to position myself where I would have an opportunity whenever the moment ar arose to get involved. Uh, and I've done so working with our, my, uh, our group at the City Department of Public Health I haven't shared that for many years and have worked uh, closely. One of the founding members of the regional health, St. Louis Regional Health Commission. Uh, we spawned out some great initiatives, the, uh, uh, the Integrated Health Network, you know, Alive and Well, Trauma-Informed Care Initiatives, uh, Behavioral Health Network. I've done these things as well as a lot of things other, you know, nationally and even abroad. And it's, they've been fascinating and they've been fulfilling, but they weren't quite focused on true uh, elimination of the root cause. And so when this opportunity came up, I said, this is it. Now we can talk about root cause analysis. We can talk about social and structural determinants of health, including structural racism. Uh, we can put a name to this, uh, and then we can really talk about what we need uh, to bring justice to this community. It, it was appropriate calling uh, uh, for me, and I was just eager to step up. Yeah, that's that's so beautiful. That's powerful. a story, right? I mean, it just really is making me so yeah so glad to to sit and, yeah. and hear you share the the arc of that story. And um, you know, it's also reminding me of of how much we've learned in recent years from your work and work of others like like Dr. Purnell about the the public health yeah. um, implications of all of our structural injustices. In Absolutely. I, I know you're going to move. And, and what I will say is I think this, that list of orgs that we hear about, Generated Health, Alive and Well, the Integrated Health Network, to know that those are creations of passions of folks who know that, you know, to be a doctor is 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 his own success, right? Like I took chemistry in 2008 at SLU, I was like, this is not for me. So to become a doctor, to become a specialist, to to do that work is is already, you know, it's life-changing work. You are working with people every day, but to make the commitment to step outside of the hospital and do that work as often as possible, I think it's just, it's commendable um, in, a, in a lot of ways. And, and in our first meeting, 
um, we all had to tell the story of how we come to be on this commission. And I talked about being born at Regional Medical Center mm. um, and growing up in, you know, North City, College Hill neighborhood. And then Dr. Ross immediately was like, yeah, I was the medical director at that time. And I was like, mm. worlds collide yeah. always, yeah. right? And so there's this way that St. Louis just tells that, that this opportunity around reparations allows us to see ourselves in, in a community that my mother was a black woman who was about to give birth to a child and was facing all of these disparities and realities. Um, and this happens in the same hospital that ultimately gets shut down, right? And that cuts out direct access for an entire population of people to have to travel a lot further to get care. So I just appreciate you painting that picture because I, I think one of the most important things that this commission is tasked with doing is remembering. Right. Remembering all that has actually been been lost and closed and shuttered and neglected and, and the material cost of that um, and the human cost of that um, on on our region. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you saying that. Um, and maybe before we uh, I, I certainly want to dive into the, the particulars of this this commission and, and local advocacy efforts. Um, but. You know, as I said earlier, Kayla's sort of playing a dual role with us today because she is co- co-host of this podcast, but she is also on the commission. Um, so I would I would love for you also, Kayla, just to you said a bit there about um, yeah, your your very early history, but maybe just when you think about yeah. being part of the commission and what you bring to the commission, um, can you speak a little bit about what comes to mind for you? Yeah, it it is. Um, wow, you know, we just had Dr. Ross was like, I don't need to follow you on Monday, and I'm like, I don't need to follow you about this. <laughs> um, but you know, for me, I I grew up in St. Louis. I'm from St. Louis. I was born here, and our listeners over time, I've shared different parts of of, of my story. Um, but I grew up in the College Hill neighborhood um, on a street called DeSoto, and um, that street shaped my life. It was a dead end street. And I always felt like that was metaphoric for what type of opportunities could be created for black people from that neighborhood. Life at different times and moments felt like a dead end. Um, And I went through life really not understanding the systems that shaped my reality. Um, The healthcare that was um, not given to my grandmother who passed when I was 10 and then having to, I don't tell this story a lot, but after my grandmother passed, um, because my mother um, had a substance issue, we were put in foster care. And so there were all these sort of systems that a child, that I, as a child I was navigating and couldn't put any sort of context to. Um, and then grew up in this region, experienced policing and housing and education, all of these things in real time. But it wasn't until the uprising that really I started to ask the question of why um, and, and moved into this work. And so since 2014, you know, I've been an organizer really focused on two issues, right? This idea of Black political power through the conversation of democracy and um, healing for Black people through this conversation of abolition that's focused on our carceral system here in St. Louis, which is aggressive and abusive and violent. And reparations really comes 
from is an outgrowth of the the way in which I've always sort of thought about and our work has always talked about invest divest. Like when we when we talk about investing, we that can have a now sort of component. It can look at things as they are right now and change things. But actually, in order to truly make the investment that's necessary, we have to look at what was and why that was to actually make this sort of meaningful investment in our people toward healing and repair and to build long-term power. And so I think that that relationship to democracy and, and organizing to divest from systems of oppression naturally brings you into a conversation about reparations. Because at its at its at its core to core, that's what reparations is saying, right? Is that harm has been done. And in order to to repair that, we have to make meaningful investment. And one, investment in our time to tell the truth. And then two, investment in solutions that actually address um, and address the harm. And so it was a sort of windy road. I wasn't someone who understood um, reparations a decade ago, but I've done a lot of work to, to read on it and study on it. Um, my own education background, you know, I, I majored in sociology and focused in on inequality in places like St. Louis. And then Action St. Louis is, you know, every day we're, we're meeting folks who are suffering under the weight of these systems. And there's no place for them to go. Like there's literally not a place for people to go to get aid and the help that they need. And we're fighting for things that are often to me, we shouldn't have to spend so much time and resources to get it done, to raise the minimum wage, to expand access to affordable health care, um, to expand access to safe and affordable housing, to get people out of jail, right? But we have to do all of that work um, and I, what I've learned is that that work is meaningful because it brings people on a pathway to understand things like abolition, things like reparations, um, things like liberation for our people. And so this commission, both being that it has been sort of in our work, this coalition that you spoke of at the top of the call, Blake, um, it's been in our work. And it's also just been really interesting to me. So I knew and, and had told Blake, um, Dr. Ross, I was like, I don't really be on all these commissions. I just want to be on one commission, actually. <laughs> it's the Reparations Commission. And so um, I applied. And um, and then, you know, to be elected chair, I think is a that's a that's a that's a bit of an intimidating mandate. But what I know is, you know, as an organizer, what I hope I'm I'm able to do in that role, if anything, is just to create the container by which we can have these really important conversations and to bring people along with it. Um, and success for me is defined as the community legitimizing this with their with their time and participation. And so I'm, I'm excited about it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it. Thanks for asking me how I, how I came to be. You know, I, I think I'm answering one question with my life. How do we build how do we build black political power for our people? And and I think this is one of the ways that we get to have an honest conversation about all that has happened to our people. Um, and I'm I'm grateful to do that, uh, Blake. I, I just I, I'm just just uh, just awed uh, when I listen to Kayla. She has a uh, vision and, and uh, intellect and a, and a and a way of speaking which uh, is you know years ahead of where a lot of us are, uh, despite her relative youth. <laughs> and Kayla, you, you talk about healing a couple of times, and that's a physician. That's another reason why I'm involved in this. I just love what you said, because I really believe that, you know, if we can actually effect 
of uh, change in this community, we have to start talking about repairing and, and healing and restoring that that a people that that has been that have been injured o- over time, and so uh, over over decades of centuries, and so the healing process is really the most important. I think the most critical part of this. Uh, we, we can create structures of support. Uh, we can create improvement in housing and we can reduce the, the, the negative effects of the carceral state and all those things. But at the, at the you know, final analysis, we have a people of, they've been injured. And that, that, that injury isn't just economic. Uh, it's, you know, there's psychological injury. There's a psychological scar from living with the legacies of slavery for so long. And we have to be equally attentive to that. And so that healing process is a powerful way of, of addressing and um, defining the work that we're doing on, on the commission. Well, I, I am just so glad that you all are chairing and vice chairing this commission. And um, it gives me a lot of lot of faith in the direction it's headed in. Um, and I also really enjoy that I get to, this is like a role reversal. I get to ask Kayla questions now. <laughs> this podcast which is great yeah, not so much, i enjoy this <laughs> no, I'm, I'm i'm also very very excited and i think you know i we've we've always sort of talked about on this podcast that like history is not linear it's layered right and it sits on top of each other and those moments of, of intersection you know miss b that story of her I, I know that, I don't know her, but I know a woman like that, right? We've all met women like that. I think about Miss Hattie who lives in Homer G. Phillips right now, who comes to every tenant meeting, right? On her walker and the way in which she she is spending, you know, um, she is spending her, her wise age, right? In movement building, because she knows that the solution to these problems are for us to be organized. And so, um, and that there is a healing in in that. And so even in our first meeting, just uh, there was something powerful about just listening, right? And I know we're gonna talk about that, but it's like listening to people's stories and what they have gone through. And those, what I wanna make sure I say is that, you know, reparations didn't happen because uh, Kayla and Blake made it so, or because Action Art City worked on it, or because Mayor Jones got elected. People have been fighting for reparations for decades, right? And in this city for decades. And that there has always been an active resistance to the power structures, to systems of oppression. There's always been a desire to heal um, and invest in Black communities and, and getting to sit and listen at the feet of people who have lived that, who like that, and who are still impassioned to, to, to see that vision um, coming to fruition. I think it's humbling yeah. for me. It's very humbling because it, it continues to mandate that the, the greatest thing that any of us can do is to make sure that our life is in service of helping others in some way. And and so I'm 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 deeply inspired. We're gonna keep going kudos back and forth, but I love Dr. Ross and I'm like hey, he says anything, I'm like, absolutely. And we, we talked about you know, we talked about this and these realities live inside of our family. My father has um is in, you know, renal failure and has been since I was a teenager. And I've watched him navigate these medical systems and I've watched him navigate these doctors. And it, it is a constant thing in my head because part of this is genetic, right? And part of this is half of my DNA, right, comes from him. And I think about 
you know, what it means when he, when, if he gets to encounter people like Dr. Ross, right? Just how seen and witnessed you get to feel um, and, and how important it is that we have folks who have that level of expertise and practice of, of actually that work. You know, it's one thing to sort of theorize about it. It's another thing to spend a life witnessing it and talking to the people who've been in it and then using all of that information, that quantitative and qualitative and human data to help fuel these, uh, these recommendations. Yeah, I, this is, this is so rich. Um, I love the point on that point around, you know, remembering and the value of remembering. Um, there's a quote, a, a James Baldwin quote that I'm very fond of. Kayla has heard me cite before, or he said, if you know, whence you came, there is really no limit to where you can go. And mm-hmm. I think about reparations very much in that, um, through that lens that I think many of us think we know, but we haven't really taken the time to look at it clearly, squarely in the eye um, and ask the question of how we contend with that and what that requires of us. Um, so I, I think what I want to try to do, because we're, we're almost at the halfway point, we're going to go to a music minute, but before that, um, I'm just going to take a minute to lay out a little, because we've, we've gestured at it a couple of times. So in case folks don't know, I want to give a little bit of the, the recent um, advocacy that led to this and just say a word about the executive order. And then maybe on the other side, we pick up sort of a, where we are now with the commission. Um, so one of the, the, one immediate impetus for this um, commission was a, a coalition of local organizations that came together December of 2022. Um, and made a request to the mayor's office, sent a memo to the mayor's office um, asking her to establish a commission. And and one of the things I want to say about that, because I think it's important, is that it was a very um, broad coalition of 28 organizations, some advocacy organizations like ours, some legal organizations, some direct service providers, many of them Black-led, some of them not Black-led, uh, and I think it really speaks to the the broad, the vast interest in this subject and in racial justice generally. And part of what that coalition um, said to the, the mayor's office was, yes, reparations is a national conversation. We know that there have been efforts in Congress for years to try to study reparations, but the city of St. Louis and local officials have also played a, a really important role in creating the kinds of racial disparities that we see in St. Louis today. And there's an opportunity at the local level to really unpack some of that um, and come up with local solutions to begin to close that gap. Um, there were some other events in, in the meantime, both that coalition held a, a reparations town hall um, or block party, I think maybe we called it, in October of last year, um, there were other local efforts happening simultaneously from um, the, the African Solidarity Committee, the Uhuru group was calling, had a, a national march for reparations. There was an effort by Brandon Bosley at the Board of Aldermen to start a reparations fund, which that actually did pass. And so there was all this sort of chatter happening in St. Louis and in December of last year, December 8th, 2022, the mayor signed Executive Order 75. And that's what created this commission that we're talking about today. Um, You can find that online if you just Google St. Louis Executive Order number 75. 
Uh, I will just read the opening line of it, which says that it is establishing a community-driven commission to assess the history of slavery, segregation, and other race-based harms in the city of St. Louis, explore the present-day manifestations of that history, and ultimately recommend a proposal to begin repairing the harms that have been inflicted. So that is what uh, you, Kayla, and Dr. Ross have been tasked with, which is no small task. Um, and, and it's a nine-member commission. On the other side of, of a music minute break, I think I want to dive in with both of you on the question of what does reparations mean to you in this context? How do you begin to define reparations? Because uh, that is obviously a highly contested term and lots of different views about that. So um, let's go to a, a music minute, take a quick break. Uh, on the other side, we'll dig into what, what reparations means and some of what you all are thinking about informing this proposal that will ultimately go to the mayor's office. Um, so to the Music Minute now, we're going to take a quick break. Please stick with us. We will be right back with Under the Arch. Waiting for the days that we tapped in. I'm sick of dreaming. Let's make it happen. Can never judge my story from the past tense. It's more than racks on my mind. It's a matter of time. Welcome back. Welcome back to Under the Arch. We are still a podcast where we explore the issues facing our communities and the people fighting to transform them. You were just listening to our music minute by the one and only mastermind. The song is titled Matter of Time, which you can find on any uh, streaming, um, any streaming services. Um, yeah, Matter of Time by Mastermind. Great song. And, and we're still here. We're back with Dr. Real Ross um, talking about reparations. And, you know, we spent the first half of this this episode really sort of identifying the why, right? Why we chose to do this, why this work is important to us. And I think now we want to move into the what. What is this work? What does it entail, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's, that's exciting and broad and intimidating, but possible, yeah. very possible. And so excited to, to delve into that. Yeah. So I, I gave you all the very easy question of, you know, tell us what, what does reparations mean to you? What, um, when you think about reparations, and maybe one way to think about it is sort of forms of reparations. What are the, the kinds of things that come to mind for you? Whichever one of you wants to start. Dr. Uh, I'll go quickly. Sure. Um, uh, for me, I, it's been a long-standing issue of recognizing, we talked about the uh, cumulative harm on the African-American population. I, I recognize, and that's the same harm that uh, Randall Robinson quoted so much in the book I've read many times, uh, the book called The Debt. I think all of us should know this. Mm-hmm. And, and I recognize that that harm, that cumulative harm, have, has really uh, left, uh, created a, a 
system of gen- uh, that perpetuates generational poverty, and uh, that poverty is sustained by all these systemic these forces of systemic oppression, including structural racism, which we should always call out. But uh, at the heart of this is that you know it's the creation of that uh, entrenched poverty, and the inability to really uh, navigate through that poverty and reach a full fulfillment. Uh, and so, uh, as I thought about reparations, I personally said, uh, w- what does that mean for me in order to address generation, generational poverty? Well, I have to go and do a root cause analysis. And, and part of this is, is understanding the factors that contribute to that. And uh, in terms of uh, creating a path forward, it has to be one embedded in, 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 in social justice. I had an opportunity of a year ago to actually visit the Racial Justice Institute in uh, Montgomery, Alabama. It was a powerful experience uh, to really see um, uh, metaphorically tombstones and, and the lynchings that, have, that, that, that went on in this country well until the 20th century. And uh, Brian Stevenson, who, who, who runs that institute, uh, started out his presentation by talking about poverty and justice. And I just love this quote because it really illustrates what we need to do. He stated that the opposite opposite of poverty is not wealth. The opposite of poverty is justice. Mm-hmm. And for those of us who wonder, why do we even need a reparations commission? I say it because we've had centuries of injustice and we're seeing the, the cumulative effect of that injustice. And so all of us, we live in America and we call ourselves a, a country uh, in, you know, that focuses on equity and equal rights and, and justice and, and support of uh, initiatives. How could anyone uh, deny history of, of, of injustice and the, uh, the repercussions of in, uh, injustice? Mm-hmm. So the, the way to address this and the way to really uh, remove that generational poverty barrier is to have a, a, a focus on uh, what is just in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, what is just is to look at all the variables, all the, the systemic oppression that led to uh, the, the inadequate housing, the, the, edu- the public school systems that have been disinvested for, for decades, uh, the intentional segregation from uh, just decades of, of policies going back to uh, the 1920s when the first, I think, statue was um, was drafted uh, uh, right prior to the uh, St. Louis, East St. Louis uh, race massacre uh, that led to uh, the, the demarcations and the, the uh, restrictive covenants uh, in this in this city. That, that, that was illegal, and the Supreme Court said it was illegal in, 19, in the late 1940s, but the practice continued uh, well until the 70s and 80s, maybe in the 2000s. So there's a need for justice there. There's a need for justice in who actually has the ability to access government support, uh, government, uh, government resources, to build uh, uh, small businesses the way many did you know, through the GI Bill. And African-Americans were denied those resources through the GI Bill. We need justice to restore access to the things that every American uh, should state is at their fingertips. That's an issue of justice. And so, uh, the, so the Reparations Commission is simply looking at the historical injustice, uh, highlighting those uh, 
uh, itemizing those and going back and checking them off saying, we've restored this injustice. We've re restored the injustice of you know, the horrific penal, uh, penal system in the carceral state. Uh, we've restored the injustice of having African-Americans lose uh, one of the most remarkable uh, and effective hospitals in the country, the Homer G. Phillips Hospital, which opened in 1927 and closed in 1979 under duress, and how that hospital system actually created a, a remarkable economic uh, multiplier effect in, in expanding the Ville neighborhood. And we saw the injustice when the hospital was closed and how the Ville neighborhood suffered. We need to restore these things, and that comes from simply demanding justice. To me, that's what uh, the, the Reparations Commission means. I love that that idea in this context of itemizing. You know, when I, you think about like doing your taxes, and if you are itemizing all of the, the harms, harms and all yeah. of the wrongs, that that bill Plenty. racks up. Pretty. That bill racks up, doesn't it? Yes. yes. Yeah, yes. it does. Yeah, it does. Kayla. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much more to say um, than that, but I think about, um, so one, I, I also want to shout out that like the movement for Black Lives has been a space that has been talking about reparations since it was um, started in 2014 and has been a, a real space where I've, I've gotten to study and, and think about um, reparations in a, a, a very tangible way. And so two definitions that they hold are the United, the United Nations mm -hmm. definition of reparations and then in COBRA's uh, definition of reparations, which both sort of speak to um, a people harmed based on group identity, right? By both um, public institutions, private citizens, um, and, and everything in between. And, and I think, you know, when we sort of talk about reparations, what it is, is the healing of that, right? And the responding of that and the acknowledgement of that. And one of the most egregious things that this nation, right, and not just not St. Louis City, but this nation has to has to repair is is the period of enslavement, right, and the time in which our um, our ancestors and people were brought to this land and exploited for their labor and, and harmed and killed, um, and their children were taken from them, and the everyday the the sort of permeating manifestations of that. And that conversation has not happened in this country and will need to happen in this country. Mm -hmm. And what is very true is at the point in which in the enslavement period ends, we are not at an equitable, equal, just society. And all the manifestations of, of what that looks like in our carceral system, our housing system, our education system, um, all the movements that have had to been born to address those things, right? Reconstruction era, the civil rights movement, the black power movement, even the current day sort of movement for, for black lives, all of those are attempting to, um, attempting to paint, to tell the truth of the harm and then find solutions to heal it. And I think when I think about the United Nations definition, they sort of have five categories, right? That five conditions that must be met um, for full reparation. So assurance is a guarantee of non-repetition, right? And, and what we've seen in this city is continued repetition of a, of a design of policies that have harmed our people. And so North City is the result of repetitious decision-making to not invest, to deprioritize, to neglect, to shut down, to close, right? To ignore, and that has created a wealth of issues, right? took generational impact, both in the ability for folks to 
build wealth, but also an education outcome, quality of life outcomes, all of these sorts of things are impacted by this like repetitious decision making. Then it talks about restitution, right? That it means to reestablish the situation which existed before the wrongful act was committed. So when we think about thriving neighborhoods like the Ville or Mill Creek Valley, you know, what is what does it look like to to um, to create conditions where Black people are thriving, right? Where they have access to the things that they need, and that sort of has that sort of is my north star in this, right? Like, what is what is the vision of a strong Black community in St. Louis, and how have the repetition policies, processes, decision makers prevented and stopped and harmed that possibility? It talks about compensation, right? It's controversial to a lot of people. It's not controversial to me. It costs to repair. If if somebody throws a brick through your window, it costs to repair. If you break your leg and you go to the hospital, it costs to repair. So there has to be some cost, right, and compensation to to the harms um, that have happened in, in St. Louis. And I and I think this sort of itemized list that Dr. Ross speaks about, there's so there are thousands of examples of this, right? And this is not just happening now, this is happening when we're still seeing North City homes be devalued, we're still seeing families lose their homes, right? Because of the, the lack of resources to repair, upkeep and keep upkeep. We're still watching families not even be able to access mortgages in the first place. And that's just housing. We're not talking about education and the school closures and the, the lack of um, all the things that, that we know happens. So then the fourth thing that talks about the satisfaction, right, is, is, is a part of full reparation it's emotional injury, mental suffering and injury to reputation, right? Like we have to we have to to do that work and then rehabilitation, which is legal, medical, psychological, other care and services. And so I think when when I sort of think about this next year of work, I think we're going to be talking about recommendations in each of those categories. And I think we're going to first have to spend a lot of time itemizing that list. And we can't just, when someone says that, you know, like, oh, well, we know racial inequity exists because of this demarcation as the Del Mar divide. That is a that is a very simple phrase that talks about millions of dollars that have been stripped out of North City, that talks about thousands of families that have been devastated by these policies, that talks about actual like life and death, right? Care and, and neglect and all these sorts of things um, that we know to be that we know to be true. Um, and so I I am sort of letting those definitions ground me. Um, and what I what I feel personally about, in addition to that, is is this piece around truth telling. I will not walk away from this process not having to take the time to run that itemized list to explain that history. Um, and to give people the space to explain what that has felt like, the human cost of that. Um, someone mentioned in our first meeting, we had our first meeting this week on Monday, they talked about the Team 4 plan. And I remember when I was a, when I first became an organizer and read about the Team 4 plan. And when we hear things like Arch to Park and the Central Corridor and all these phrases that are so specific to St. Louis, there has to be repair for the decisions that have prioritized specific parts of our city over other parts of our city and have allowed um, neglect to take hold. And neglect isn't um, accidental, it is intentional, right? That is a decision to neglect. And so there has to be a decision to, to repair um, and all the harm that has happened because of those, um, because of those decisions. 
Yeah, I, I so appreciate you um, bringing in and walking through that UN definition, because um, I probably would have raised it if you hadn't. Because I, I, the INCOBRA definition is also, I think, wonderful and useful. But I just I find that, um, you know, five part, five conditions framework to be so useful. And if folks aren't familiar with that, you know, they press the back button and listen to those again, Google, write them down. I think it is worth really sitting and thinking at each of those levels. And to your point about compensation, one of the things that it makes very clear for me in my own conception around reparations is, yes, absolutely, compensation is a critical condition, full stop. And also, compensation alone does not get it done. So we can't only be talking about compensation. And that, you know, there, there are so many people that want to argue on e either side of both of those insights. But I think it's a really critical one to, to begin to understand both the scope and scale of the harm and what the scope and scale of the remedy will need to be. Yeah, um, and, and I, if I could just add to that, Blake, I yeah. think one of the one of the sort of interesting manifestations of these things, right, is what's happened around the soccer stadium and telling mm -hmm. the story of Mill Creek Valley. And so yeah. one of our friends, um, one of my dearest friends, Damon Davis, was charged with um, creating this beautiful monument to, to honor um, the families of Mill Creek Valley who were displaced. And the soccer stadium comes decades after that happens, right? But what is true about this city is that you walk in neighborhoods, you drive on roads that were Black communities. The Arch was a Black community, right? Highway 70 was a Black community. The soccer stadium, the Dome, were Black communities. And so we walk into what is, not acknowledging what was, and that allows us to not think about who, right, who is still feeling the impacts of that. And we have just seen this happen across our region time and time and time again, where Black people are displaced, right? And there are no resources to support that. And then they are charged with having to rebuild their life over and over and over again in scarcity with nothing accessible to them. And I think that it is a misstep to just make this conversation about, is there going to be a check, right? Because that, that flattens the experience and the lives that we that the lives that are already gone that have suffered under these harms and the, the children of those the, of those people who are still living and navigating um, the inheritance of those harms. And so mm -hmm. I just think it's really important for us to take this conversation seriously. And I, you know, Dr. Ross and I had to do a lot of news the, the day of the first meeting. And that was the main question, right? Like, mm -hmm. well, what, where is this money going to come from? Where did all of the money come from to make these decisions, right? right. And so we, we can't neglect having these conversations. We can't be fearful of them because if you actually want to build a St. Louis that is safe for everyone, that is thriving for everyone, you have to acknowledge the harm that you've done. You have to acknowledge it and you have to do something about it. And I, I'm concerned sometimes, or I'm, dis, I'm disheartened rather, I'm not concerned because we're going to do the work regardless, but I'm disheartened at the instantaneous sort of attempt to scale down and limit the possibility of, of what it means to tell this truth and then respond to that. Yeah. Uh, amen. amen. I, I, I think we should highlight another fact here because <laughs> uh, that was so, uh, so, so uh, such a powerful statement. Now, the, the fact is that the, the net effect of all of this suppression 
uh, over decades and centuries. So it was just a, a transfer of wealth uh, from the African-American community. Uh, and that, that wealth was transferred, and that wealth was transferred from one pool to another pool. And guess what? Those That pool didn't just uh, deconstruct. It, it's, it's not, it didn't just disappear. The pool is still there. And that's why we still now, in 2022, recognize that African-American other families have uh, a tenth of wealth of, of white families. Uh, the, the wealth is still there, mm-hmm. and it's just a matter of, of really... Uh, promoting a, a framework which focuses on justice, mm-hmm. uh, which will result in a rebuilding of those of that community uh, that, that was unfortunately um, marred in death and suffering after that wealth transfer. Mm-hmm. So uh, th- there's nothing controversial in my mind about what we are doing, what we were tasked to do, mm-hmm. and what we hope to do. Uh, it's simply, as I said, it's just a matter of reconciling the ills and the, the, the movement of, of funding, of money, of resources out of the African-American community. Uh, uh, it's, just a, it's just a matter of being equitable about making sure that everything uh, about the St. Louis region is, is uh, seen through a lens of equity and racial justice. Yeah. And Dr. Ross, because you invoke pools, I just feel like I have to say this now, that uh, one of the, you didn't even mean it in this way, but but I think one of the assumptions about reparations is that it has to be a zero-sum game, that that Black people will win and everyone else will lose. And that is a complete misunderstanding, in my view, um, of how structural racism really operates, because it operates to the detriment of everyone. And the, the, the reason I point to the pools is I was reminded of um, the book, The Sum of Us by Heather Mm -hmm. McGee, which is a really amazing book. And one of the concrete examples that she points to to sort of uh, underscore that it is not zero sum was the closing of pools under segregation because they didn't want black people in the pools. And part of what that meant was that nobody got a pool. These were public goods, public benefits for everyone. And because of racism, everyone lost out on that good. And we've seen that play out again and again and again. And we have study after study here in St. Louis that says the St. Louis region is being held back by the neglect, the disinvestment, the poverty that comes from that, the violence and community harm that comes from that, that that's harming everyone. And so actually this investment in reparations is an investment in all of us that call this region home. And I think that's something that that gets lost and that bad faith actors want to get lost in the conversation around reparations. Oh, I, I really appreciate that, Blake. It's so powerful when we are all that we're saying, I and mean, we certainly know there are a lot of people who are going to say that this is all social engineering. I mean, this is socialistic, uh, uh, moving resources from one community uh, to another at the expense of one community. Mm-hmm. And you're right. There's nothing in this that's you know, that's tantamount to that type of uh of movement mm-hmm. uh, uh, is, is a matter of, of actually re, uh, uplifting um, the group so that everyone is reaching full health potential. Mm-hmm. I had an opportunity to give a talk in uh, England a couple of years ago, and I was talking about health inequities, and they say, you know, Dr. Ross, over here, we're a little bit more um, egalitarian. Uh, we talk about uh, not taking one asset from one group and giving it to another, but simply moving everyone up to the same level, mm-hmm. uh, the whole principle of, of equity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I, that was so powerful. I came back and incorporated that into 
uh, the work I was doing with the City Centers for Disease Control and Healthy People 2020. They really talk about this equity so we can uh, undermine this conversation about social engineering. Uh, so your, your pool analogy was just really awful one. It was really insightful. Yeah, well, I can't take credit for it, but Heather McGee, uh, uh, that book, The Sum of Us, is one I highly recommend. And, and I think it is instructive in moments like this. Um, God, this time has really gone so fast, but I want to make sure we land this conversation in some uh, concrete details that people need to have about where the commission is now, what's coming down the road, what, what folks should be uh, on the lookout for. Our commission is charged with meeting monthly. And so we have a commitment to having a public meeting, in-person public meeting once a month. I think the, our commission is going to meet more frequently than that because this is a large charge. Um, and so folks can look for, for those um, meetings um, on, on the city's website, but if you don't see it on the city's website, you can certainly find it on Action's websites and pages. Um, but yeah, so I really think we've talked about uh, a few things that we want to achieve over the course of the next um, 11 months. So the commission is tasked with convening through March of 2024, um, and we are tasked with meeting publicly, generating a report and a set of recommendations to, to return to um, the mayor and um, city leadership. And so we've sort of, we think about this month in three phases. So right now we're sort of in this deep community engagement and co-learning phase. So our first meeting this past week was really about listening to communities' vision and hopes and ideas for listening to our um, people's visions, ideas, and hopes for um, reparations. And I thought, you know, the meeting was exciting. Dr. Ross called it uh, raw. And Dr. Ross, if you want to just sort of give what you, your your thoughts about that first meeting before I talk about the rest of the year. Uh, uh, sure. Yeah. When I say raw, uh, the community, they were there in an unvarnished, very uh, forward, very uh, practical, uh, but you know, demanding way. Uh, they they were not there to say, well, let's just uh, have a polite conversation about this. They were saying, you know, here's what's on our mind, and we gave them the safe space to speak their minds, and, and that was and that was the power of that event. Uh, that, uh, that it was visceral. I mean, you you could feel the emotion there. Uh, and uh, I certainly felt it, uh, Kayla felt it, and, and we felt uh, even more uh, responsible as a commission um, because you know, that, that raw, visceral emotion was, was palpable uh, that, that, that evening. And I think we're gonna continue to see that for the rest of, the, of, this, of this year. So um, we, we, uh, we have concluded that um, uh, the community knows what's going on. They're just, uh, we just need to take our time and listen to them organize that process in the way that Kayla just outlined and synthesize those points uh, and come up with an actionable uh, approach to addressing the, the social ills in this region. Yeah, thank you for that, Dr. Ross. So just very quickly, because I know we have to, we're almost at time. So for us, phase one, right, we're in phase one, we're going to be in phase one through the summer, is community engagement and co-learning. So we're going to be doing deep listening, deep listening sessions with community members, 
We're going to have presentations from local and national experts, people like Dr. Ross, wink, wink, and development of working groups within the Reparations Commission. So this idea, even this conversation, right, it encompasses so much that the nine-member commission is not going to be able to hold all that work and generate that report. So we're really thinking about... Um, you know, remembering the Ferguson Commission process and how there were working groups around certain issues and time periods to really create um, something that will continue to be a source of education in this report for people, but also um, something that has tangible and real direct um, recommendations to address to address some of these issues. Phase two, we're going to really we're going to continue having these public meetings, co-learning, but building on that, we're going to really start to focus in on um, getting a, a first draft created. And so identifying themes based on the public comments and interest, developing the report framework, and then working groups will begin to start working on um, their research and their recommendations. And then we actually want to get that report sort of done by the end of this year or draft done by the end of this year, because we want to produce a draft to the public. And I think what we often see with reports is like people get the final product, they get the finished product, and it's not finished until the community says this is what we wanted to say. And so we're going to spend January through March really going through a, re a large participatory feedback process where folks will get to delve into the report, make recommendations, give us their feedback, give us their critique, give us their affirmations. And then in March, we'll finalize that and, and turn it over to the mayor and board of aldermen. Um, to begin to start to actualize those those recommendations. Awesome. Well, I'm very excited. I, I know and can hear the passion and excitement from both of you um, and have just so enjoyed this conversation. Um, I can't believe we're at the end of it already. We could keep going, but we will keep going over the next year. We will keep going with this conversation. Uh, Dr. Ross, I just want to thank you so much for being here today and for, for all the work that you do and all the work you will be doing as part of this commission. Um, it's been such a pleasure to be in conversation with you today. Uh, my pleasure, Blake. And Kayla and I will be back uh, after one more quick break to wrap up this episode. You are listening to Under the Arch. We're back. Welcome back. Oh my God. Can I just say, I love Dr. Will Ross. Like he is just the sweetest. Yeah. And he most is, brilliant. Yeah. I mean, and the work he's been doing for so long, I, I, I could have just sat and listened to him at, at the beginning when he was sort of giving that narrative. I could have listened to a full hour of that. I mean, it's just so powerful to see and know um how dedicated that people like him have been for decades and, and kind of toiling away and making such an impact yes. on individual lives, but also seeing the systemic, you know, the yeah. unfortunately the the kind of resilience of these systems of oppression and stubbornness of them. Yeah. You know? it, it really, it does make me, you know, one thing that I've been holding on my heart this week is uh, the transition of a giant among us, Harry Belafonte. Mm -hmm. um, and man, what a life. Like, yeah. I've been emotional about it at the idea that I got to sit at his feet so much. And then talking to Dr. Ross just reminds me that we have so many giants amongst us. Yes. 
you know, and, and it yes. is so important that we listen to the, I'm, I'm always so grateful that we do this in like audio form where this history gets to live on beyond yeah. all of us, because I just think listening to his life story and his mm-hmm. passions, um, it reminds you, it reminds you that it is possible to live mm-hmm. a life of service and it is, yes. it is a choice to do so, um, at every day. And so I'm just, yes. I'm grateful that he continues to find inspiration to do, to do this work. Um, yeah. and, and I just, I just always just love him. I just want to hug wonderful. him. So wonderful. And I'll just say, you could also see that in the first meeting of the reparations commission. Yes. I mean, there were, that was an intergenerational gathering and yes, there were these was. older black folks like miss josephine perkins josephine, everybody right there and set josephine the room on perkins, fire okay. the yeah. repar- matter of fact the reparations report is gonna be dedicated to dedicated josephine. to josephine perkins <laughs> i mean she was great there was a there was a woman there was a man and woman that were sitting right in front of me also um i have i have her name on a slip of paper downstairs because I after after i i made some comments she came back she made sure to get my number and gave me my name and number and i gave she gave me her name and number. And, you know, these are folks that have been waiting. Yes. Let me tell you They've something. There was, a, there was a Karen who was from the O'Fallon neighborhood. That's mm-hmm. what talked about Team 4. I have my notes mm-hmm. on my desk from that meeting. I took yes. vigilant notes. And and what, what it just reminds you of is that the, the conversation around reparations isn't some academic ivory tower, distant, yeah. you know, book only space. This is a living and breathing opportunity for community members to get engaged, to get involved, and their yep. story, their life, our lives as Black people in this city, yeah, is the justification, is the case for reparations. Yeah, because the choices that were made, that we were born into, that we had to survive, and that some mm-hmm. of us did not survive, mm-hmm. that is what we want to talk about. Those are the stories we want to hear. Those are the things we want to to make recommendations around. And so I was completely inspired by the first meeting. Yeah. And it just put a battery in. I, you know, I love, I, if there's anything Kayla Reed will spend her time doing is listening to Black women. Older yeah. Black women will tell you yeah. the truth and they yeah. will do it in such a saucy way, you know? <laughs> and she, she, it was just yeah. an amazing experience and it was a multi-generational conversation it was a multiracial conversation. Yes, I appreciated the. There was a slew professor, white slew professor that got up and and um, said some powerful words. And Kate Sandler got Kate up Sandler, and said, yeah. "You know, there's About a philanthropy. philanthropy needs to contribute to Let's this. Private institutions, it. nonprofits. So, yeah." And, and you, know just, what, you know what? My favorite thing about being chair is what's that? I'm an organizer. And so it doesn't matter. Do you matter get a gavel? Are you going to have a gavel? That is carceral. I will not. And no, I'm going to get you a gavel. Please don't. Give me like a bell. <laughs> Give me like a bell or a button that's like. Or maybe like a trumpet. Maybe you just. Maybe none of those things. <laughs> still on recording. So just stop. Um, but I think that the, the piece around um, the piece around community engagement for me is that is organizing is about bringing people together to establish a vision for our communities. And that's what this process is going to be. And so I'm, I'm really, really excited um, for these opportunities. I did not get to say, but the next public meeting right now is scheduled for May 22nd Mm. at 6 PM at the same place, Harris state university in the Emerson performing in the Emerson performance center. Um, And so, which is not the main building like Blake and I want to, because that's where we usually hold our events. It's in the gym. So you come into Harris, go to the left. It's in the Emerson Theater. Um, 
and then you walk right in and it's on your right hand side. And so yes. I just I'm I'm excited about it. And it's a lot of work, you know. And and what I will say is I, I didn't get to say this when he was on the call, but Dr. Ross actually nominated me to be chair and and mm. had organized me. He was like, listen, I'm making I send, I'm sending you an email let you know I'm making <laughs> for you to be chair. And I was like, mm. uh Okay. And, and my literal response is like, I will only do that if you vice share this with me, because it's so important to me that yeah. his work has been in the, in the rooms with the people who are suffering because of these systems. And that tangibly, you know, that makes a difference because we feel the impact of that generational trauma, that systemic racism, we feel that in our bodies, it impacts our health from the yep. moment we come into this world, right? It's, yep. it's in the it's in the bodies of the people who carry us. And we so, had an episode with Dr. Kira Banks, season yeah, one, about yeah. exactly that. Yeah. yeah, and so I think that, you know, that piece around healing and justice, that's going to be the theme here. And I'm, I'm really excited about this commission. It's a, it's a solid set of people who I think are really yep. in the work of doing this and I'm super excited to, to for all the people who will join our working group. So if you would listen to this and you were like, oh, I'm actually, housing is my jam, there's a place for you in this reparations mm-hmm. commission. Let's spend a year together. Let's yeah. build something because what we have to do after the year is up is organized to make sure that these recommendations become reality. Yeah. Uh, speaking of things we meant to say, I meant to shout out the other commission members, which are David Cunningham, Delisha George, Gwen Moore, Jada Brooks, Kevin Anthony, Kimberly Franks, and William Foster. Um, yes. So that rounds out the nine-person nine commission. Amazing set of folks. Amazing set of folks. Yes. Uh, okay. Let's run the credits. Let's um, run the credits. This is an amazing episode. We want to thank our team, as always. Uh, Johnny Wu Gabbard has been here holding us down. He will be doing the editing to make sure we sound decent on the other side. Thank Amen. you, Johnny. It's thank to listen you to, to it in real time. In real time. Uh, Z Gorley and Angelo Badal, also at Arch City Comms team, who helped with all the magic of the podcast. Uh, and Zoe Griffith at uh, Action St. Louis, who Absolutely. is also pulling together. A squad um, of people it takes yes. to get this done. A squad of yes. people um, and how the team has grown to make this real. And so yes. also just want to say to you who are listening, we are always looking for topics. Like right now, mm-hmm. we really are looking for topics. Mm-hmm. So if you are like, I have a thing I want y'all to talk about, please feel free to email us at underthearchpod at gmail.com. Um, follow us on all social media. We are on the big three, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, rate us on the platforms that you listen to our podcast, which are most of the platforms where podcasts can be. And, and you know, share it. Share it when it comes out. Because I think I think this season, this season we are cooking. Okay, we are in the kitchen cooking. And I'm excited about it because we are these conversations are related to each other. They are they are timely conversations. And so um and and we hope that you find them educational. So please, please let us know what you Mm -hmm. think. Um Mm -hmm. and um and let us know what you want to hear about. Also want to shout out one more time, Mastermind, who was our music minute artist, who I just love, is phenomenal. Um, for 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 uh, giving us music to play on this on this episode. Yes, shout out to the artists. And uh, speaking of things coming up, P of STL Day is coming up. Before you hear from us again, we will have had Give STL Day in St. Louis. Yes. For those of us that run humble nonprofits in St. Louis, Give yes. STL Day is a beautiful day of fundraising and giving. Um, and if you aren't already on the newsletter, 
for Action St. Louis, for Arch City Defenders. You should get on those so we can tell you all the ways we you can, can support. On yeah, Give STL Day. Yeah, Google actually it, trying to raise money a van for our field team so we can keep knocking on these doors. Help Action get some wheels. Actually, get some wheels to we be gotta, on these streets. We got to be in the streets, and we need a car to get there. So, yes, you know, St. Louis, I got good public transportation. So, we need a vehicle. <laughs> we need you to help us get there on, on Give STL Day, which is May tenth, but early giving begins May first. Mm-hmm. Um, and and please, you know, Arch City always is such an amazing organization. I give every year to Arch City Defenders. And you should give to our city defenders, and you should give to Action St. Louis. We really should be your favorite organizations. <laughs> if we're not your favorite out loud, we know that we're your favorite in your heart. In your and heart. so we'll see you in May for for Give STL yeah. Day, which is ten years old now. So it's all this extra opportunity, um, and it's a really big day. It's a really important day for small organizations yeah. like ours. It's a big fundraising day for us, and so yeah. share the word, amplify, and um, give what you can, and we're grateful for it. In advance, one other preview this summer. Yes, oh my goodness, that's right. This is a teaser. By the time you hear this, it will be out. But Action is having its first um, gala. Is it a gala? (laughs) Why are you asking me? (laughs) Because I don't like that word. But it is. It is. It is anti-gala. It could be whatever you want it to be. We are calling it the Powerball. It's ball. It's Powerball. Ball. Uh, It's July. um, It's July twenty seventh. Um, on this Saturday, if that's not July 27th, it's this last Saturday of July (laughs) and it will be at uh, the Hawthorne, which is down on um, Washington. It's a very beautiful venue. We're very excited Mm -hmm. about it. It's our first one. We're going to sell lots of tickets. The theme is a blackout affair, right? And so everybody get your best black linen outfits together and come out and have a good time. Tickets are going to go on sale in May. Um, hope you buy a table, hope you come out. We're going to have a silent auction and many ways for people to plug in. Um, and this is, you know, this is the growth of an organization. Last year we had our first birthday party. It was a concert at Blueberry Hill. Now we're taking our talents and skills and hopes to, to <laughs> fill up a room of beautiful people in all black and have a really good time um, learning about action, celebrating the work of this organization and the many people who contribute to that work. Uh, and and hopefully raising some funds. So save the date. Yes. Well, I can't wait. Um, listeners, there's a lot happening as you can hear. We appreciate um, you listening. As always, we appreciate all your support, all the ways you plug in. July 29th. Uh, I said 27th. It's July 29th. July 29th. Thank you. 29th. Um, so we hope to see you there and in all the other places. And we will be back with you very soon for another installment of this friendly podcast and in the meantime uh stay safe and well out there and we will see you soon you have been listening to under the arch talk to you later we have come so far so far to go